Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies and Liquidware. And now for some news. Malware tech blog on Twitter, the man who stopped the spread of WannaCry, pleaded guilty this week to two charges related to writing malware. Shortly after his plea, he released his own statement. Quote, As you may be aware, I've pleaded guilty to two charges related to writing malware in the years prior to my career in security. I regret these actions and accept full responsibility for my mistakes. Having grown up, I've since been using the same skills that I misused several years ago for constructive purposes. I will continue to to devote my time to keeping people safe from malware attacks. It's worth noting that there was a total of 10 charges, eight of which were dropped for the guilty plea. He now faces up to five years in prison, up to $250,000 in fines, and up to one year of supervised release. They leveled him with some pretty serious charges related to multiple pieces of malware, most of which have been dropped in favor of charges for writing malware with two others. So the way I interpret it, They've allowed him to plead guilty to maybe two of the lesser charges relative to his case. As he stated in his own personal statement, he has a desire to teach and use his skills to combat malware in future. I've been reporting on his case since the podcast began, and I made the option just not to mention him by name, but I mean, if you go search for the news articles, they're all mentioning him by name, and he's a very public figure now, but... I'll still respect his initial wishes of not being made famous for what he did to prevent the malware that tormented a lot of our IT lives, WannaCry. I think all of us IT pros were affected one way or another with WannaCry, either dealing with it if it got into your organization or quickly trying to get emergency patches deployed to protect yourselves. And for that, I'm hopeful that this young man doesn't get too steep of a prison sentence. In other news, Microsoft have acquired ExpressLogic. ZDNet have reported on this acquisition of a vendor who owns and developed a real-time OS for microcontroller-based devices, which has been deployed on more than 6.2 billion devices to date. ExpressLogic's ThreadX RTOS which is the name of the operating system, is complementary with Azure Sphere. The acquisition is being reported as in the ballpark of $5 billion value. It's an interesting development and could be an indication that Microsoft is getting even more serious about IoT. In another ZDNet article, they have reported that the Sets feature that was released last year into the Insider Preview for Windows 10 has been dropped and may not return. Sets provided the ability to open tabs within various different components of the operating system like the console. I was pretty excited for this. Personally, I hope they bring it in for maybe just some certain apps in the future and where it makes sense. There's a few Microsoft related stories and the next one is an update version 1902 of Configuration Man's current branch is now available. An interesting note here, This version deprecates support for Linux and Unix as a client. Deprecation was actually originally announced with version 1802 last year. 
You are advised to consider Microsoft Azure management for managing your Linux servers instead. Version 19.02 also brings an improved client health dashboard that can show you at a glance the health of your SCCM clients and allows you to drill down to detect errors and issues. There's also a feature to report on any devices that are running a Windows 10 version that is near the end of support or past the end of support. There's more detail added to the progress bar in task sequences. There's improvements to the package conversion manager and the email approval workflow. They've also added some custom port options for Wake Online and much more. If you want to read the full notes yourself, I'll include a link to that under reference links for this episode, which is episode 69 on 5bytespodcast.com. And you can also find it in your podcast platform of choice within the description. .NET Framework 4.8 has also been released. This version includes an updated toolset as well as improvements in several areas, including the runtime for JIT and NGEN improvements, updated Zlib for compression, I guess, reducing FIPS impact on cryptography. For WinForms, there's accessibility enhancements for WCF service behavior enhancements, for WPF high DPI enhancements, and UI automation improvements. Figured it was worth noting, as I had mentioned that this release was likely due soon after the recent release of the latest version of Visual Studio on a previous episode of the podcast. It seems like every episode I'm covering a new update to the MSIX packaging tool, and this week is no different. The tool now provides the ability to create new folders within the VFS directory within the editor. It also now automatically turns off the Windows Update service as it has been made mandatory. There's some other small changes in there like uh, timestamping for the signing of the package and more. Speaking of releases, Citrix ZenApp and ZenDesktop 715CU4 has been released with many new fixes including a fix for TCP port exhaustion on storefront which is one I actually experienced in my environment, so definitely patch that one because it can be nasty. They also fixed some issues around deploying multiple app v packages and much more. Citrix employee Manbinder points out that there has been three new quality additions in this upgrade, including preliminary site tests in the meta installer, integration with MSI log analyzer, and with smart tools, you'll be able to collect deployment logs. If you're using LTSR, you'll want to check out the full list of fixes for yourself, which will also be included in the reference links for this episode. TechCrunch.com have reported that Docker and ARM have formed a new partnership. This will allow developers to create their Docker containers on x86 with a view to using an emulator of an ARM chip for building images to support on ARM platforms and ARM-based servers, which will be perfect for developing for IoT devices, edge computing devices, cloud, and more. Developers won't have to learn anything new to develop containers for these platforms and devices. It would be the same Docker commands and workflow that they know and love today. BleepingComputer.com have reported that security researchers discovered malware 
being hosted on the Google Sites platform for building websites. The malware is named Load PC Banker and is in the form of an executable disguised as a PDF file that holds guest house reservation information and is stored in the file cabinet storage space for Google Sites. It appears that in this case, they were particularly interested in certain machines and may have been capturing screenshots from their decided targets. So it's something that has been exploited in the wild and across many different machines, but they seem to gather information from specific machines in this case, so they may have been trying to target specific users. Unfortunately, this is another case of a vulnerability being brought to the attention of Google, but seemingly being overlooked for some time, much like the imposter Google Chrome extension that I mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast that ExtraHop actually uncovered, brought to Google, but it wasn't really dealt with in a timely manner, so they went public with it. I should qualify and say that Google is by no means the only vendor who's been guilty of maybe overlooking or not reacting to these types of alerts in a timely manner. Adobe, Apple, pretty much everyone's been guilty of it at some point. Last week, I spoke about Cisco releasing patches for several vulnerabilities. Oracle were also busy when it comes to patching, providing patches for up to 297 vulnerabilities spanning many different Oracle-owned products, including Oracle Database Server, Fusion Middleware, Enterprise Manager, eBusiness Suite, MySQL, Java SE, VirtualBox, PeopleSoft, and Siebel CRM, to just mention a few. Oracle has urged its customers to deploy the patches without delay. VMware have released an extensive reference architecture for VMware Workspace ONE and VMware Horizon. This has been a long time coming. VMware have been making huge strides with their EUC offerings, but putting together the design and architecture for their entire EUC stack, including VMware Workspace ONE, which they've been pushing quite heavily, and VMware Horizon that has kind of fluctuated in years, but has certainly got a lot more robust and mature as a product. They've added a lot of different products like App Volumes, for example, Amidio and others into the Horizon stack. You know, together with the underlying infrastructure and obviously now the Workspace ONE, all of those combined tell a pretty compelling EUC story. But in the past, you'd have to put together the pieces of that puzzle for yourself. With this reference architecture, you at least have some guidelines around Workspace ONE and VMware Horizon together, so it's worth checking out. Ubuntu version 19.04 has been released and comes with support for Visual Studio Code. Yay! The release also puts some focus on AWS DeepRacer and Greengrass for IoT development and more. The Visual Studio Code is pretty interesting as you may recall in episode 1 of the podcast I covered the release of PowerShell Core. Well, now there's going to be a pretty decent PowerShell Core editor that you can use across pretty much every OS. So that's cool. Linux computer seller System76 also announced its own PopOS version 19.04, which is essentially built on top of Ubuntu version 19.04 that I just mentioned. 
It provides some extra custom boots, a dark mode, slim mode, and more. OMGUbuntu.co.uk has noted that it is available for download now and has two images available, one for Intel AMD systems and the other for NVIDIA systems. WindowsTechIT.com had a pretty interesting article about battery life on devices running Windows 7 and Windows 10 this week, pointing out that on Windows 10, more apps are optimized for battery life than they were on Windows 7. Obviously, laptop batteries are better now than during the initial release years of Windows 7. And with changes to drivers in Windows 10 and the update cycles for Windows 10, there's been a little bit of a drawback there because if a generic or incorrect driver is installed on update, that can have a negative impact on the battery life. Wi-Fi settings also can have a negative impact as well as like Bluetooth and wireless technologies. At least in Windows 10, there are various different settings for Wi-Fi and those can have varying degrees of impact on the battery life, which the article that I'll share under reference links gets into more. There's also some pointers on some of those apps that you want to disable in Windows 10 to optimize the battery life. So if you want to learn about optimizing battery life for Windows 10 and how it compares to Windows 7, which in fairness, their conclusion is that it's pretty inconclusive because there's some gains and some drawbacks, you want to check out the article. It's at least useful to see where some of the resource drains for the battery are on Windows 10 and how you can optimize at an OS level and application level to get the most out of that battery. To talk a little bit of tech business news, CNBC reported this week that Apple currently spends more than $30 million on AWS every month. The report states Apple spends more on AWS than the likes of Lyft and Pinterest, and while they have a multi-year agreement in place currently, they are also building their own cloud infrastructure, which is evident with data centers built in California, the state of their headquarters. I know there's one in Mesa, Arizona, close to where I'm living right now, and there's a data center being built in Denmark. There's also been rumors about a data center possibly going into Ireland, though they had previously pulled out of building a data center in Athen Rye, close to where I actually grew up. But the rumors are that that might actually happen again. The world is becoming filled with data centers, which I guess from a tech perspective is kind of cool. From an everything else perspective, maybe not so cool. Data centers don't tend to employ a lot of people for the ongoing day-to-day -day operation. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Microsoft had another boost with a better than expected quarterly report with Azure revenue at $9.6 billion and $10.7 billion contributed to the personal computing division, which includes Windows. Microsoft have now also passed the $1 trillion market cap. If you've got the latest up-to-date version of Windows 10 and Chrome version 74, you can now use dark mode. I've covered dark mode settings in previous episodes. They are particularly useful on mobile devices and on the topic of battery life since I've already covered it. That's what they help. On mobile devices, the dark mode actually uses less battery than some of the app's default settings or themes and light modes. Dark mode has been available on macOS for over a month, so if you're a Mac user, you can use it too. Roy Essers 
this week highlighted the fact a new version of the app V sequencer has been released as part of Windows 10 ADK version 19.03. In the release notes for the ADK, there is no mention of any new fixes in there, and it could just be a case of them including it with the compile of the ADK for each release. It's a little disappointing that they're not adding new features to the sequencer, but they've already mentioned that that's not likely to happen. I would have expected some fixes in there, but it seems AppV is no longer a priority with MSIX on the horizon. Christoph Kolbix this week noted that Windows 10 version 19.03 can still be converted to the multi-user virtual desktop edition using the business ISO and the existing generic product key that you'll be able to see if you look at the YouTube edition of this episode. Obviously, it's not supported for deploying in your environment, but if you want to try out Windows 10 multi-user and not running in Azure, this could be pretty cool. We're getting pretty much down to the wire now as the EUC Masters Retreat will be held on May 3rd through the 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. I believe you can still register if you're interested in attending. In my opinion, it's the premier EUC event in the United States. So if you're a Citrix admin, engineer, architect, maybe you're supporting VMware Horizon, maybe you're an application packager, you work on a desktop team, if you support the underlying infrastructure for EUC teams, mobility, this could be a great conference for you to check out and hey, the location's not bad either. I'm also going to ask again if you could spare about 15 minutes and have RDSH and or VDI in your environment, can you please fill in the state of EUC VDI like a pro survey? The results are very interesting and useful each year. It's great for seeing trends up or down for texts like VDI, GPU. So, you know, if a lot of people fill this in, maybe we can answer the question if 2019 really is the year of VDI. Spoiler, it's not. Wrapping up the news, a little bit of a shameless plug or self-promotion here, but I took some of my previous work on Windows 10 migration planning and plotted out a Windows 10 migration checklist, which is available right now. I'll share the link for it with this episode, which again is episode 69 under reference links on 5bytespodcast.com, or you'll see it in the description with this episode on your podcast platform of choice. And now this episode's weekly webinar. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll have heard me mention Kubernetes probably about 40 times. If you are not familiar with it and want to learn how to build stateful applications on Kubernetes, the webinar shows you how to do that with KubiDirector, an open source Apache project. To learn about this and more, I recommend you check out the CNCF webinar on April 30th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Registration is open now. And now this week's scripts, tricks, and tips. This week features a script by Lawrence Van Duen. I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name. The script helps you copy your VMware app volumes app stacks to other data stores. Most people I speak with who use app volumes are typically running on top of vSphere version 6.0, or 6.5 with app volumes 2.10 or 2.12. In the latest release, there's greater ability for moving your app stacks. 
but in earlier versions that most people I believe are on, it was less portable. You could also use some other tools like VM motion tools or backup tools for moving the app stack disks around, but some of these other methods can be quite slow, whereas this script is relatively fast. So if you find yourself needing to copy your app stacks between data stores and you don't have a good solution now or you're using a solution that is slow, you'll want to check out this script on VDR.1 for yourself. I apologize, this week's episode was a little bit longer than usual. I'll try to get it down next week, but fair warning, we're coming up to the tech conference season. So some of the episodes are probably going to get longer when I cover some of the news that's coming out of conferences like Microsoft Build, Synergy, VNext, and so on. Hope you guys don't mind. I hope even when the podcast episodes are longer that it's providing enough value to you. And the way I see it is this podcast kind of like a, a little bit of a cheat sheet. I know when life gets busy with my kids and just things going on in my personal life are, are pretty hectic work life, I find it very difficult to just sit down and catch up on TechCrunch or ZDNet or Ars Technica or all these different tech resources and just keep myself up on trends and what's going on in the industry. So I'd like to think I at least share the cliff notes with you guys each week on some of the bigger news stories. If you think I do, by all means, go rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I'll catch you guys next week.